go. There I am. Hello. Howdy joke folks. Howdy jokes. Howdy jokers. Howdy tokers. Howdy midnight smokers. Getting your loving on the run. Uh, sure don't want to hurt no one. One of the worst songwriters in American history. The opposite of Bob Dylan. Steve fucking Miller. So today I wanted to start by talking about special effects in movies because someone tweeted today that they were, uh, that they had watched me recommend the Blob remake, the uh, 80s Blob remake with, uh, I believe, Kevin Dillon, Jeffrey DeMunn, uh, uh, written by Frank Darabont. And they said that it was great and they were glad they did. And I got to have a little bit of a, a a chat online about the wondrousness of the 80s sci-fi remakes all of which are great uh, but which I think a blob is honestly the by far the most underrated one and I think in in argument really for the best it's that one or the, the thing in my opinion and it's close it might be a toy flip in my opinion um, and of course, one of the things that make both those movies great is practical special effects. And all the Thing's special effects are pretty well known. They're, they're sort of the gold standard. People always talk about the Thing. But I really feel like the Blob might even have more impressive special effects, and it doesn't get talked about nearly as much. The Blob in that movie is this... It doesn't eat people the way that the Jello mold Steve McQueen Blob ate people. It dissolved people, and you could see through it. You could see people being eaten in, by the acidic Blob. And they showed it. They showed people having their faces melted off on Scramma. They saw the guy get pulled down, entire body pulled down through a fucking uh, uh, garbage disposal. And it's also very nasty. It's like, it's willing to kill children. Uh, it has very funny uh, Reagan-era politics because the blob, obviously, the original 50s movie, people took that at face value. This is about communism. Big red blob coming to get everybody. Uh... You know, you could also say, no, it's actually anti-communism, no, it's actually 50s, parent, uh, 50s conformity, whatever. Uh, any way you slice it, it's pretty... Uh, it, the surface was certainly supposed to be anti-communism. It's red. It's a big red blob. Come on. Uh, but even the surface text of the Blob remake is very, like, pissed-off 80s left in exile. Because instead of the Blob being an alien uh, creature... The Blob is actually the result of a U.S. government experiment uh, by, carried out by the military to create a super weapon. Uh, and when the government scientists come up, come around, they're willing to kill everybody. Spoiler alert. Although it's, it's not really part of the... It doesn't really matter. I'll kill everybody uh, to preserve it. And then another bad guy is like this holy rolling preacher played by Del Close who founded the Chicago, uh, Chicago Second City, I believe. It's like... It's the classic Reagan-era left-wing boogeyman of the military-industrial complex and uh, evangelical Protestantism. But anyway, very good movie. Uh, and the pr practical effects are a big reason why. And it led to the whole C uh, the classic CGI uh, practical effect argument. You know, practical effects are better, and then people say, no, CGI is more uh, versatile. And the thing is, is that 
on the question of practical versus CGI, I would actually say that that is you could, that could be boiled down to a matter of taste. Um, because for, as much as I might be a practical effect guy, because I grew up with them. I'm an analog guy at the end of the day. I'm Oregon Trail generation. I'm, I remember getting computers. So that means I'm not a digital native. So that means that I have a certain expectation of presence on screen. Whereas kids who grew up on video games, which all, are all CGI, and then cartoons and stuff much more, uh, and then of course everything online that's all s smoothed out, it doesn't, they're not missing what I'm missing. And so, you know, okay, fair, fair to them. Uh, and in addition to that, there's a genuine uh, trade-off because one of the problems with practical effects is movement, fluidity. It's very hard to make a practical effect look like it's moving across a room. How do you create something that's like a robot? Most of those robots and stuff, they have you know, limits to how far they can go because they're not full auto automatons. That's the technology that's it's too much. It's unnecessary. Uh, you, can, you can cheat, but it looks like it's cheating a little bit. Like that's, where, that's where stop motion comes in. That's where green screens. All of these things don't look perfect. Whereas the promise of CGI is pure fluidity of motion. Now, you can say, well, I don't like fluidity of motion, and I don't care about fluidity of motion compared to concrete sense, uh, uh, sense of presence on screen. I'd say amen, but I will acknowledge that there are people, especially younger people, for whom that distinction doesn't matter, and they like the fluidity of CGI. So I'm willing to write that off as uh, just generational and aesthetic. But there is one thing that I will not, and that is CGI gunshots and blood splat CGI bullet holes going into people and then blood coming out of people from shot from being shot uh, in my opinion that is not a question of generation it's not a question of um, aesthetic preferences CGI blood and gunshots look bad they are inferior in a meaningful objective or close to objective sense and what I mean by that is this for now, CGI blood and, sh uh, blood and gunshots, and this is, not objection this is not something that's arguable, I don't think, don't look real. They don't look real. That's not, I don't think that's a thing you have to like, argue with somebody with. Even, even a damn Zoomer. I think the argument would be, well, what difference does it make? Just like it is with that CGI creature uh, doesn't look real. Well, it can move on screen, which like a puppet couldn't. Uh, to which I say no. In horror, all bets are off. But in action, it is paramount. Like the point of showing blood coming out of somebody when they get shot in an action scene is to see what is as close as possible to the image of a human being being shot with a gun. That's what establishes the stakes in action films. That's what we're there to see. We're there to see damage being done to characters, to enjoy the visceral, as in gut-based, satisfaction of seeing violence done to somebody who isn't me, which is a deep lizard thing in people, um, and also to establish stakes for what will happen to our characters who we love. Hopefully, if the, good, if the, good is, if the movie is good. And I would say that CGI blood and uh, bullet wounds do not look that way, and therefore they cannot fulfill the role that gunshots in an action movie are supposed to do. They can't do it. They can't do the job. And that means that they are inferior inherently. And that's my take on that. And I, I say I can't argue. I, you, you can argue, but you're wrong. That's one of those red lines. Like, I'm all about 
you know, it's all about, there's no binaries until you get to 51%, you know, and I'm way past 51% on this one. I'm near 100% on this one. Um, but yet, fewer and fewer films feature squibs and blood, even big budget Hollywood movies. That's crucial here. Uh, it's not technically a question of cost. Big movies could technically uh, afford squibs. And that is why for a long time I yelled at movies that didn't use squibs because it felt like they were cheaping out on purpose. And I've had a creeping realization lately, especially I saw after I saw The Five Bloods, the new Spike Lee movie on Netflix, and it used all, not only CGI bullet wounds, but CGI gun flashes. They didn't, uh, the Punisher series on Netflix did that too. They didn't even put blanks through the fucking mag. They just went afterwards and put in flashy lights at the end of the fucking guns. Uh, and it was awful. Like, and they had to pretend to have recoil. Like all the actors, they, the gun wasn't firing, so they didn't, they didn't have like actual recoil at all. They had to pretend. It was like bang, 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 bang. It was like kids playing dress up. And I was like, how could Spike Lee have let this happen? But I think what I've done, what's dawned on me, especially seeing like a movie by a real movie maker, not some fucking hack that was like that, is that I don't think that that, I think we've reached the point on squibs that we reached with CGI a while ago where these are not questions that are being raised anymore. You know, it's like when, when, when Spike Lee signs on to direct a movie, at no point is there a discussion about whether it's going to be in color or other than, unless he's got a hair up his ass. Or like whether it's going to be shot on digital. Unless you have a specific hair up your ass, those things are all assumed. Yeah, we're going to use digital cameras because those are cheaper. Uh, you know, we'll use CGI. We'll use uh, we'll, where we can. We'll use green screens. That's built in. There's, and I'm feared. I'm afraid now that we have reached the point where bullsh gunshots, which are objectively inferior, uh, CGI gunshots have been baked into the new understanding of where the budget goes. Um, and that to me is awful and depressing and sucks because I don't know if I'm going to see any good action movies anymore. I, every time I see an action movie now, I'm just holding my breath for the first gunshot and then I either turn it off or if it's got anything else going for it, I watch it and just at the whole, every gun, every gunplay scene, I just get a little more deflated. Uh, so many movies I think are really good and get undermined by that went away. I can't distract myself from like the Purge films, for example. And then... But then if I see it, oh my God. And there are so many dog shit action films that I find myself overrating and watching longer than I should because at least there's some fucking squibs. I mean, and that's what I mean is, what I mean is that it's not technically about money because like there are squibs in, in movies that guys made in their backyards in the 80s. Like the stuff on, if anyone's ever watched Best of the Worst on Red Letter Media, you know, stuff like uh, Get Even. Uh, and these weird uh, vanity movies that, like, uh, uh, local real estate magnates and fucking uh, thai, uh, uh, karate, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, karate studio owners would, like, self-fund. They had fucking, they have, they have squibs. You couldn't afford squibs. But they, the, I think it's been phased out of even... Even on the on the on the budgets at this point, it's not an object. It's not a uh, unless you insist on it. Like I don't think Tarantino's ever going to make a movie with squibs, no matter what. But of course, he can make that argument because he is a big money. He, his movies uh, they sell, so he gets to stake the terms. For even directors, a lot of directors don't have the ability to make those demands. And I think the reason for that is that 
this is this thing where this is literally and fully the fault of capitalism. This is an example where you can see objectively the way that the artistic uh, integrity of films, like any other artwork, are undermined by the degree to which they have to adhere to market logic. It's a genuine case. It's like Darwin's finches. If you want to argue about capitalism destroys culture and argue that culture cannot be uh, progressive in the way that cons liberals want it to be and think that they can make it and make that make everything good. No, it dissolves like acid all qualities. And I'm, I'm not, I mean, obviously that means ideological, but it also just means aesthetic. It literally just means a commitment to art as, as an expression of human beauty. All art is, is, trying to, is trying to present a perfect image from the mind somehow a crystalline connection to the unconscious and put that in the world in some form. And filmmakers try to do it with movies. And if they have had it written, if it's been written out of the logic of filmmaking that you have, you can't, that you uh, can have to show bullshit CGI looking blood coming out of people, you have undermined the artistic integrity of film. And the reason they do this is because it's way cheaper to use CGI. Uh, for one reason, uh, CGI is compatible with the new gig economy neo-proletarianization uh, uh, that we're seeing, or deproletarianization we're seeing, where uh, people, uh, where the problem is that like the 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 type of film economy that produced squibs doesn't exist anymore, where you had union crews doing union jobs to to keep them happy because they were making all this money and they had to keep the fucking workers happy. And so if you want to have shoot a bunch of people with squibs and have them go off, so satisfying. You got to have somebody rig up the clothing. You got to wait around while you get set up that and then set up the shot. And then if anything goes wrong, uh, you got to get a whole new wardrobe because you've ruined that one and then set up another rig and do it again. That is, the compounding costs of that are tremendous. Whereas, you're shooting people with CGI bullets, one shot, everybody falls down, you're happy with it, good. You want two for safety, go for it. But then, the real work is done by fucking outsourcing it to Fiverr, a bunch of fucking uh, code jockeys working tiny trances of the job for micropayments and no fucking uh, overtime, certainly no union benefits. The costs are just so, over time, uh, 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 accumulative that the logic of filmmaking has now squeezed out a genuinely meaningful craft that undergirds a certain type of filmmaking and makes it what it is. It's very, very, very sad. But it also shows, like, we've got to do this. We've got to get rid of this. And, of course, you know, a libertarian will try to jujitsu this and say, well, that's the fault of fat union contracts. These guys, these guys care more about making their union rate than making art. To which I say, uh, fuck you. Uh, this is all because of profit. They're, they're squeezing out the, the profit out of the tooth tube, toothpaste tube. And they're all responding to the declining rate of said. This all shit should be all funded by the government. This should all be fucking either publicly through like crowdfunding or direct block grants from uh, you know, artistic institutions. This should all be fucking publicly funded. There shouldn't be any profit in it at all. So that objection is stupid. But even if you accept that logic, that, well, they should do it, they should do it for the love of it, and they're ruining everything with their fat union contracts. 
it's very hot. That's why I'm sweaty. It's, it's, it's no longer pleasant New York. It's, it's oppressively uh, humid. But even if, you're, those guys are, even if those guys are working Fiverr rates instead of uh, union rates, they still have to set up the shot. Probably going to not do as good a job as the guys used to pay more to do it, by the way, because why would they? Uh, and they got to supervise the work. And it takes more time. And time is the most precious commodity on a film set. Because the time that it, you're setting up a shot or dealing with a logistical issue is a time when a lot of people are not doing anything. And that is just to the capitalist, the dagger to the heart. People standing around. You got time enough to lean, you got time enough to clean. And CGI gunplay, especially in action movies that are heavy with it, just streamlines the, the, uh, uh, streamlines the uh, amount of time it takes you to make the movie just cuts, I don't know what it would be, but it's significant, which means compounding significant amount of money is saved by not having everybody sitting around for days on end while you set up shots of people getting shot with corn syrup. And the thing is, is like, that's, that's not a problem that can be solved by doing away with cultural Marxism and SJWs. It's, it's, not a, it's not a problem that can be solved by anything other than removing the, the, the cr decrepit uh, code, the, 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 um, the monster in the machine, you know, the capitalist profit motive. It's the only way to redeem this shit. And yeah, of course, people can point to good movies that still get made. A lot of the time, it boils down to either luck and uh, ha happenstance or... It's just a few people, it's, it's the same thing as the American economy. There's a, there's a remaining hangover of people who are still holding on to those last bags of money, those last chunks of ice, of, of the ice, of the, of the melting, uh, the melting ice cap of post-war prosperity. And that applies for directors too. There are guys who are still walking around with big fucking histories of making money for people that can make, that can give them the leverage to ensure that they don't fuck around with a thing like squibs but those people are shrinking and shrinking in number and their even their leverage is is declining over time so even if there's a few i'm just saying treasure the the, the really treasure the the gifts when they come aesthetically because they're going to be fewer and fewer farther and farther between uh somebody pointed out the john wick movies one of the things that makes the john wick movies just I think I've come around to feel, finding them very... I, I rewatched John Wick 3 the other night. I'd only seen it after, once in the theaters. And I was like, this is not... I don't like this, actually. I don't like this. I officially don't like it anymore. And part of it is the fact that the plot is structured so that none of it has to happen. It's, it's one of those things that is... Well, you could have just started here at the end of the last... You could have left off where the last movie did in basically the same situation. Give or take. So the whole plot is pointless. And, you know, it's obviously, it's running out of maneuvers with the, the choreography. They added some dogs. But the monotony of the fucking CGI blood splatter is so deadening. And they do it better than most because they don't overdo it. And they keep it dark. That helps. It hides the, the clash. They don't get the color right. They've never gotten the color right. And, of course, we're not talking about real blood. We're talking about movie blood, which is all you need them to look like. And you know how you do that? Make some fucking movie blood. It's amazing. They, they can't, with all their ones and zeros, they cannot make something look like movie blood. And meanwhile, movie blood, you just put some caro syrup in a fucking thing and you've got it. Infuriating.
so I'm not looking forward to the next one, but I'll see it out of completism probably. And you know, people like to say, "Oh, what's tough with uh, it's tough with John Wick to use squibs because there's so many headshots." One, don't have as many headshots. Why does everything have to be a headshot? If you have to compromise so deeply, as in using CGI, maybe don't do that. Uh, but also, you can—it's not impossible to do headshots and have, you know, just a little tube, just some fucking corn syrup splashed on the back of the, of the wall. Uh, if you've got to do CGI gun muzzle flash because you can't fire a blank that close to someone's head, okay, that's a concession to just logistics. But you can still, you can still do, and they don't. They don't do it. Three movies, they don't do it. Fah. Yeah. Early squibs weren't great either. The thing is, even a bad squib is still, uh, still on screen. And I feel like that is still going away from the need for, as I said, realism is the point of bullet wounds in, in, uh, in action films. That's what makes it artistically fun and interesting. Uh, so that's still not at the ideal, but it's already, by virtue of really being on a screen and, and actually having like fluidity that is not obviously uncanny valley-like, you're already up. You're already up. Meanwhile, after, what, 10 years now of hegemonic squibs, blood, uh, CGI squibs, as bad as it ever has been. I saw, uh, I saw arms or guns akimbo. I saw guns akimbo. Wretched film. Absolutely wretched film. One of the things that was wretched about it was the CGI blood, which undermined the entire thing. But I will say this. Because the whole movie is supposed to be like this, one of those dumbass critiques of like the culture of spectacle and violence. But you're not looking at real anything that even comes remotely close to real violence. You're looking at uh, CGI graphics. You've already, it's like I'm already playing a video game. You've, you've lost it. You've lost your, your connection to some sort of critique. Um, this only works if I feel like these are real stakes. But what scares me is, is if that movie had used CGI, if that movie had used squibs, especially considering how much violence was in it, I probably would have raved about it, even though it's objectively terrible in every other way. I'm losing my ability to even, you know, uh, feel like I'm really appreciating something or just happy to see something that's not so distractingly terrible. But those are the burdens we pair in this life. Heavy is the head that eats the crayons. So what are you guys up to? Uh, oh God, something happened to birth movie's death. Did they find out that uh, all of those people are still Devin Faraci under a screen name? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I've never seen any of them in person. Who knows if those are real people? Man, that is an underrated, terrible sight. I mean, the, the, the business model of that is, hey, what if we did sponsored promotion but didn't tell anybody we were doing sponsored promotion? Yeah, that's great. Because then you're making money 
no matter what. You can, you can, you're pursuing the traditional click-based ad uh, strategy of regular news, or uh, regular entertainment news uh, and opinion sites, but you're also getting paid under the table by the very studios you're reviewing the films of. It's pretty impressive. It's a hell of a racket. And then the fact that it was founded by a just awful, unpleasant uh, uh, creep who, who hilariously tried to come back as a born-again Buddhist, which is very funny for me to talk, but I wasn't being canceled when I decided to have some sort of uh, spiritual experience. He essentially did the same thing that uh, televangelists who get caught diddling the receptionist and pilfering from the poor box do. Which is, but because he's in California and he's amongst the libs, he can't be Christianity. So it's a nice Eastern religion. Uh, that, that feels worldly and, uh, and vaguely left-wing. Uh, so now, what happened? Did it collapse? How do I feel like Harmony Corinne's movies? I'm up and down on Corinne. Uh, Gummo's really disturbing and memorable. Uh, I never saw Julian Donkey Boy, I'll admit. I don't really like kids. Um, I just saw Beach Bum and was kind of underwhelmed. Although I really, really like Jonah Hill, uh, but I and I never. Uh, but I have to say, uh, I do really like Spring Breakers. I think that he really kind of he hit that one out of the park. He kind of grooved it. It was one of those perfect situations where he got the the perfect marrying of subject matter and, and cast, especially. My God, Franco specifically is brilliant in that. Uh, and uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Hudgens is very good too. And for, in my money, there's fewer scenes that better define pre-COVID, late or early 20th century, 21st century America than the look at my shit scene. Look at my shit. Look at all my shit. Look at my guns. Look at that shit. Vampires? Apparently you cannot just have the full clip anywhere. There is a Gregory Brothers auto-tune. Shirts, 
All colors. This is it. No, uh, that's my favorite of his. I think that's pretty, pretty universal uh, opinion. I'll admit I'm not a huge Malik guy. I'm not a Malikian. I don't really vibe. I've liked some of his movies, but it's just not my... I don't know. I need more of a... I think I'm more of a lock the... I don't know. I try to... I, like, I kind of... Lyrical filmmaking has never really spoken to me. I feel like maybe it's cheating a little bit because like mood and shit is what film is and what like the challenge of commercial filmmaking anyway is to shape it into something is to give it a spine and like the conflict between that like the conflict between the art and like the expressiveness of film and its narrative structure the artificial imposition I think that's what's interesting and I, I'm for Mal with Malik I don't feel enough of that I don't feel the gears turning enough I, I appreciate why people like it it's just not for me I like Von Trier, I have to say. Uh, I, uh, I thought that uh, Antichrist is, is brutal. Melancholy is great. Um, I, uh, the first half of Nymphomaniac is really interesting. The second half is very bad. Uh, and then the, the serial killer movie that apparently like everyone hated except for the people who love his shit uh, is now on Hulu, but it's only like the, hour and a, the two and a half hour version. I kind of want to see the whole thing, because Netflix had the whole uncut uh, *Nymphomaniac*, which is what I saw, and I'd rather see the whole thing. Oh, um, *Dogville* is also very good. I never got around to seeing *Mandalay*, maybe because I wasn't buying uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Were you ever a big fan of John Carpenter? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking I am, considering I think that he might be the best film... I think he's the best filmmaker of the 80s. Pound for pound, I mean, it's, that's, a tough, that's a tough decade, too, because that was commercial filmmaking at its height. Because the studio system broke down just like every other, uh, 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 like, Fordist, modernist, uh, post-war concept in the 70s, right? And then in the initial explosion of the, uh, of the financialized film industry, you know, uh, you had that, that, that glorious moment when money was going to everybody and all these fantastic auteurs got to make whatever they wanted almost. Uh, and it was dizzying and, 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 and awe-inspiring because you had this huge flow of money in an industry that was expected, that was, that was used to a certain degree of return, a certain relatively modest return on investment. But then, of course, the go-go 80s, uh, the explosion of credit, and what do you know, uh, all of a sudden, and then, artistically, the, reply, the, the result of that, the birth of the blockbuster, and a new paradigm. These movies can actually make a ton of money, which means they're worth investing more money in, so the movies become more larger spectacle, more impressive visually, uh, but they also have to make more money, which means they have to be narratively more constrained in their ambition to be maximally uh, uh, acceptable to the audience and, and, and interesting to the audience. Uh, so the 70s is like the Big Bang explosion and then the stabilized new system, the 80s, 
the mature moment, that's where you've got all the best blockbusters. That's where you've got Spielberg at his height. That's where you've got Zemeckis, the Back to the Future films. That's where you've got the best action films. Uh, Schwarzenegger's uh, phenomenal work. Uh, fucking Predator, Die Hard. Uh, um, like even shit that nobody even remembers now. I mean, maybe if I look back, I would uh, it would be rose tinted glasses. But I'm willing to bet that like if I went back and watched like Romancing the Stone, that uh, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, like uh, Bogey and Bacall throwback adventure movie, I bet that fucking holds up better than anything similarly uh, uh, oriented in film in cinema now. So you had blockbuster filmmaking, the formula is greatest, the biggest investment. And the, and the biggest return. But then, over time, what happens? The aperture slows. The money gush sh comes to a... It, it, it loses its, its uh, hydraulic power. Competition right, uh, rises up. Shrinks, shrinks the aperture even further. And that means uh, what happens is it gets... The money flow gets diverted. And now there's a small amount of money for people who want to make very small films that can be released at this point now digitally entirely and not even go to cinemas. And then films that require these massive, massive, massive budgets because all profits in the, in the era of quantitative easing and financialization, all profits have to be massive, massive, massive. There's no more reasonable expectation of return. There's only a maximum return because of maximal investment. And that means everything has to be as safe and bland and dog shit as possible. And now, and now the fact that CGI is so much uh, comprehensively cheaper than practical effects in every respect means it's going to get smoother and blander visually and uh, uh, artistically for the same reason. It's a bummer, man. It's a real bummer. So that's why we have to cherish whatever little gems we get. The remaining few directors who can, who can get something made... We should cherish it. I mean, my God, Scorsese got to make a, a, a fucking, oh my God, he got to make a three and a half hour long meditation on regret and aging and death and materialism and, and, uh, and America with, I mean, you want to talk about CGI, the CGI there is awful, but on purpose, on a very purposeful way, in a way that it's, it's Brechtian. That film is Brechtian. And that's the kind of shit that doesn't fly in studios anymore because of the, um, the risk of alienating the audience. And Netflix only did it because they're still trying to now compete with cinemas, and, they, and so the brand name of Scorsese is worth the investment, which it isn't to tr traditional filmmaker, film uh, studios because it's already out there. They don't need to prove to anyone anything. They're already the movies. There's nowhere else for him to go up above the movies. Well, he's going to go to TV. It's not the same thing. We all understand it at some basic level. No matter how good fucking TV got, the prestige era, in my opinion, it's the inferior model. It always will be. Because it came later, because it's more commercialized by inherently. But sometimes you'll get a thing like Netflix willing to pay $200 million for the Scorsese brand to, to bring uh, eyes and, and, uh, and uh, authenticity to, the, to their brand. That it's, it's marketing. It was a marketing expense. It was a lost leader. So we'll still get that sometimes, but it's going to be fewer and farther between. Everything else is going to get shit. There's no other way for it to go. And the only way you can reverse engineer this to make sure what went wrong, there's no cultural explanation. It has nothing to do with SJWs. It's not Devin Faraci and his Hollywood pedophiles making everyone uh, want to watch uh, representation rather than art. It's fucking money. 
movies are cheaper to make now, but the, the cheaper ones aren't going to get return. So they're not going to waste money on them, which means that, that more than anything, honestly, even more than, uh, than budget, although we're at a point now where at the micro level, you can't even do squibs because you're cutting out essential stuff because of how low the budgets now are. Uh, but also, where's it going to end up? This shit that just gets thrown onto fucking Netflix with a, in a big pile, to me, some violence has been done to the artifact. And I know that's stupid, but I feel like, like these things, the, the symbolic order of meaning around art is not purely the thing itself. Walter Benjamin talks about this. There's that, the, the presence, there's the aura. And that aura isn't just physical proximity and like reality, it's, it's, it's presentation. It's, it's ritualized consecration. Seeing something on a big screen means something. And it imbues the thing you're seeing with meaning beyond what's on screen. Seeing it on a little fucking TV is different. And it's like, well, yeah, but you see movies on TV too. Later. Afterwards. After they have been desacralized, but they were once sacred. Once again, here we have no ritual of sacralization. Just dump it out, like, as they said on Red Letter Media, like fucking uh, cafeteria fried chicken and, uh, and uh, sweet potatoes. And it's there to fill out the fucking steam tray. It's, a, it's the pile of, uh, of, like, wilted spinach in the corner. Just so that someone can say there's spinach on the fucking buffet. And then at the end of the night, nobody wants it. They just throw it out and make some more. Once again, desacralization. We come back to desacralization. We come back to, to the... the, 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 the um, the sacrilege of ritual, the, the destruction of civic meaning, is what I'm talking about, in favor of pure lucre, pure economic uh, uh, maximization of, of profit and efficiency. It's bad stuff. And that is why I'm against it. That's why we got to get over it and get done with it before it's the last culture we had, was this dog shit. The, the fucking, the, the cephalopods, the fucking octopuses, or whatever the fuck, they... They've come from, uh, they evolve their way out of the boiling seas 500,000 years from now and like a, 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 on a planet that's had it's been completely t- uh, re-terraformed by global warming and humans like slowly, slowly died out over the course of a few millennia. Uh, and now we got the cephalopod overlords. We got the, t- the tentacle people. And like another 100,000 years of tentacle people, we get tentacle people in their own cycle of capital accumulation. And they find our, and the, and, uh, our moss-covered civilization. And we have, we have Floor is Lava on Netflix. And I know you're saying, oh, it's, 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 that's, it's digital. One of the good things about digital is that it'll be completely gone. It'll be completely wiped from the planet, unlike the, the, the you know, uh, our, our ancient history will have more reality to any future generation excavating than our digital one, because all of it's evanescent and goes off. But let's just say, like, one server survives, you know? Hypothetically. And the cephalopods of the future devise a way to reproduce that technology and translate it. Not impossible. I mean, they fucking 3D... They 3D printed the, 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 the larynx of a Neanderthal so that they could hear what it sounded like. Or a... No, a, a mummy. And it's, it's Floor is Lava. Has anyone seen Floor is Lava? I don't want to sound like Andy Rooney here, but... I watched a couple episodes with a friend of mine the other night just because we were like flipping through Netflix and making fun of how bad everything looked. And we were just like, this looks like the Nadir. And we watched it, and 
I mean, I get the appeal of that kind of thing, like American Ninja Warrior, the Japanese game shows, they're all based on, and I see the appeal, and I've enjoyed them. I was a kid, I liked American Gladiators. But Flora's Lava is, like, pitched so stupidly. Like, it's, it, the level of intelligence assumed of its audience is, and, and, its and the people competing is so low that it can't be enjoyed by anybody who has more than a room temperature IQ. Because even if you're trying to turn your brain off, it won't let you because it's still too slow. Like, it's not fast-paced the way that a show uh, that's supposed to just be turn your brain off fun is. It's too slow for that. It leaves you contemplating it. And that's not the point. You're not supposed to be contemplating these shows. It's supposed to be all my nards. And you're like, oh, that's funny. Uh, love to turn my brain off and watch some guys getting hit in the nards. This is too slow to, to accommodate that. You end up contemplating the object and its grotesqueness. And that's because it's pitched to people who are so stupid that it's not too slow for them. That it's at the right speed for them. And the most telling... Uh, 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 Symbol of that is that the, the, the announcer, who's like some NASCAR analyst, I guess, uh, his voiceover and explanation of the people as they go through the lava room, his voice is pitched like a especially stupid person condescending to someone who they think is even stupider than they are. Like, he already sounds just like a dumb guy, and then he exaggerates his voice the way people do around kids to get points across, and he, he condescends. And you're like, what do they expect this audience is? And it's like, you can say, oh, yeah, people are always that stupid. But like, most of the, for most of the history of even mass popular art, they were expected to have to deal with like the pace of the median IQ, the median ability to like decode symbols. And now it's slowed. It's actually slowed. Because the aperture of, of, uh, of alienation has to widen and widen. Exactly. The audience is children. Because eventually you have to widen the aperture to everybody. And you can't alienate any part of that audience if you expect to lose any of it. Or if you expect to keep them all. They all have to be there. And people are saying it's for kids, but I'm sorry. I watched Hidden's, Secrets of the Hidden Temple, and I watched Double Dare, and those things are fast as shit. Those shows were fast. They were running around. They were zipping around. They're expecting less of our children. It's the soft bigotry of low expectations of our little rugrats. You're going to tell me that you can you watch an old clip of Double Dare or Secrets of the Hidden Temple and tell me that it's moving at the same speed and with the same degree of condescension as Flora's Lava? I would d disagree. And the thing is, is that, like, this is not just one direction. It's not just pure decline. I'm not being Oswald Spengler here, even though I've sounded like it. It's not pure decline. Like, as, as there is that infiltration of art into commerce, you remember the technology changes, technology becomes more intensified, and then leads to new art forms, new ways of expression that are their own reward. I mean, film itself is one of those. I mean, you could argue that film and television are deform deformations of, uh, of the theatrical experience. I mean, you could make the exact same argument. 
using similar, argu- similar lines of argumentation that I've been making to say, no, no, real drama, it has to have a sense of presence, physical presence. My assumption that, no, the presence is in the frame, that's because that's what I grew up with. So I, I, you could already argue that, yeah, no, this is, this is actually not objective. This is just as enmeshed as anything else. Uh, but, they, that they, but who wouldn't give up? Who would give up cinema? Who would even give up television, even though most of it's dog shit? There's, there's real, real gems there. There's real art in every, every fucking facet of it. So I guess what I despair of is, and I think maybe this is a Kuhnian thing. This is Kuhnian incommensurability, where like, because I am so wedded to certain notions of, you know, physical of, of presence, of, of presentation, of ritual in, in artistic consumption, which is very, you know, you could argue that's all very 19th century. And not younger people don't aren't beholden the same way to that kind of stuff. They, 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 then you could say, yeah, there are new te- technological uh, uh, art forms emerging that are, that are, if they might be less artistically acute than stuff that doesn't require a lot of capital or isn't as technologically adva- uh, uh, accelerated, they have their own dimension, especially and, most importantly, are more relevant to people living now because that they're operating at a frequency of reality in a way that older art forms are honestly not. They are antiquated. They are obsolete. So maybe I'm just like, I'm, you know, this is, this is why generations must rise and fall. This is why the, 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 the uh, it's why the wheel of Ka has to keep turning because uh, otherwise it stultifies because people, there's the, all those, the, the grinding of like expectations of like birth and, 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 and setting and, and like the ritualized space that we inhabit, that, is, uh, that changes as time passes. And so people have different senses of it. But I would just say that the thing that concerns me is that, you know, even though technology allows that for the infiltration of money into art to diversify art in a, in a productive way, I would say that the desacralization process is unidirectional. And that is a genuine decline that has to be interrupted. And that's why capitalism has to be overthrown. Because there is a, embedded in all of the, embedded in all of the productive conflict between emerging forms of art, emerging generations with different contexts, uh, they're being driven to a state of radical alienation, radical individual alienation that is antithetical to art and human consciousness and human the human soul to get very, very sappy about it. I've read a little bit of Burroughs. I read Naked Lunch and I was okay. It wasn't really my thing. I should try him again. I did DC Dr. Sleep. I even watched the extra long version, although I really couldn't tell what was expanded. Uh, I don't get why people like that. I really don't understand though. I mean, I guess I like, I guess people like that director, but I've never, I don't get that either. He seems like a, uh, he seems like a journeyman. Scott Flanagan. He seems like a, just a, you know, he seems like a George P. Costamos type guy, like just a, a meat, a ham and egger. I, I don't get this thing where he's supposed to be a fucking auteur. 
And it doesn't help that the book is terrible. And I do think it's funny, though, that the book, Dr. Sleep, is a sequel to The Shining, and then, but the movie is a sequel to uh, The Shining, the movie. Because they have different endings, partially because at the end of the book, spoiler alert, the, the, uh, the Overlook blows up, and it doesn't in the movie, The Shining, and so the, and they, both of them end at the site of the Overlook, and so that changes the whole ending. Um, but no, I mean, Rose the Hat is not scary at all. I mean, the jokes write themselves, looking like a little affair, trying to fucking suck people's steam out. Uh, I mean, Rebe uh, Rebecca Ferguson is, is wildly attractive, but uh, she's not at all scary in that movie. And not of it, and that's not just because she has the stupid hat on. It's because she gets owned the entire film. Every single time she encounters uh, Danny Torrance and the little girl, she gets her ass kicked. It's always established from day one, from moment one, that they're way more powerful psychically than her. And so at no point is there any sense that she's going to win. There's no danger at all. And then you have the fact that it's, it's the lady from Four Non-Blondes not being threatening. You don't even have visual scares. Oof, terrible. Rose the Hat. Paul, Paul, have you heard of Rose the Hat? King does have a hard time ending books, and it's because he doesn't plan them ahead of time. And you can't blame him for it. And I'd say, I would argue that it's one of those deals where you have to accept the good with the bad, and that, like, the, the, almost all artistic, um, all, almost all artistic abilities and talents within an art form have deficits at the other side of them. So, like, a lot of directors, or a lot of writers who can, like, really strictly plot out work, uh, they lack a certain, like, looseness, and they lack, and, the, and the, 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 their plots get schematic. Uh, with Stephen King, like, I mean, his process is sloppy. His process is just explosive, compulsive narrative. There's no time to stop down and structure it. But that means once you've gotten to like 600 pages, it's like, what do I do now? And you've got to start, you have to start halfway through knitting it back together. And you've got to take it. That's why his short fiction is his best stuff. His early short fiction especially. Skeleton Crew. Uh, I always forget the other one. I enjoy, I, I still read new Stephen King though. Uh, there's always value, I find. I, I kind of like The Institute, but I have noticed that there's a weird thing now where he ends a lot of his movies now with, sh his books now with shootouts, just people shooting each other. Even movies with, su even books with supernatural shit, he ends them with people shooting each other. It, it kind of feels like he's like, because he's as getting older, he's losing patience with the process of knitting things back together. And so he's just like, ah, and then everyone shoots each other. And then boom, like a third of the pair. Oh, we get to pair a third of these characters. We get to close a third of these plot holes. Perfect. I, li I like the Institute. Although, you know, it's basically the greatest hits of his 80s stuff with all the kids being experimented on by the evil government. Although I've always loved that. I always love that stuff. Firestarter. Everything's eventual short story, which is kind of he ripped off for the institute.
Favorite on-screen depiction of the devil? That's an interesting question. I think the witch is really good. Just the, the moment when the voice hits, dost thou wish to live deliciously? Would thou like to taste butter? And then the, the man coming up from behind. That's good, that's very good. Uh, Al Pacino, the devil's advocate. Why not just go for the rafters? You're the devil. Why would you have any subtlety at that point? He's an absentee landlord. Did I like Blue Ruin? Absolutely. Blue Ruin's great. I think uh, Blue Ruin's like wonderful, amazing. Uh, not, his, not his debut, his second film. But his first film is very low budget. It's called Murder Party, and it's actually pretty good, especially when you consider it's his first movie. And then Blue Ruin's fantastic, amazingly assured. And then, of course, Green Zone is practically perfect. Was not a, much of a fan of the Netflix one. There's, it's, it seems like most of the Netflix movies, and part of it maybe is that desacralization. I don't even know what's happening. Like, I feel like I don't watch them as closely. I feel like I don't watch these, these Netflix movies by like, even guys I really respect. I don't, I don't respect them. Like a certain, there's a certain patina off their names that, and their film that robs me of, of, uh, of investment in the story. And I noticed that that was true of like Gareth Edwards' movie that he did for Netflix, the one about the cult, I thought was really bad. Uh, it's like, I love Gareth, or no, Gareth Evans. And I was like, I love Gareth Evans, what's going on here? And I, think, I don't think it's a great movie, but I think part of the reason I didn't like it is because it just didn't feel right. Uh, the first, the first big name director to do a uh, Netflix movie that won me over fully, even though I didn't felt it was sacrilegious to not see it in the theater, was uh, *Ballad of Buster Scruggs*, which I thought was brilliant, stem to stern, enrapturing. Even though I watched it on a little, relatively small TV compared to a fucking uh, big screen, but. I was like, oh, God, top five fucking Coen Brothers movie in some ways, I would argue. I would argue that that's one of the most uh, accomplished things I've ever done because it's a greatest hits package, right? Every one of those, every one of, it really is like their, it's like one of their, uh, like the, the, um, the Clips episodes of a TV show, only the Clips are new and original. Uh, and it's like, hey, you know, you, you, hey, you guys like uh, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? And they're like wacky, antic, uh, old-timey uh, cartoon style, like that in Hudsucker Proxy. How about some Buster Scruggs for you? Do you like their uh, bleak, nihilistic, uh, existential horror? Here's some, uh, 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 like, No Country for Old Men. Here's uh, Meal Ticket. Oh, you like uh, the philosophical and... Uh, and uh, and uh, self-referential navel-gazing shit, like a serious man and Barton Fink. Here's uh, the last one with the with the the, the stagecoach. I can't remember the name. Uh, but and then in the because and like I'm not I'm not mad because I'm getting all the good stuff. It's 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 a good it's a good Coen Brothers buffet. And then in the girl got gal got rattled. They have a earnestly depicted romance that is almost unique in their fucking uh, film canon. They pulled, they like, they developed a new pitch at like age 60. They're great. And that movie was so great that it kind of overcame a uh, Netflix thing. I'm still digesting uh, uh, 
the Irishman. I really, really appreciate what it did, and I, I do think I understand what he's going for with it, and I think he succeeded a lot. I don't love it as much as some people do, I have to say. Uh, people who say what's like a better than Casino or Goodfellas or even Wolf of Wall Street, I would disagree. But I think it's, it's, it's mo maybe his most ambitious work artistically. Uh, and, and in that respect, considering how much he lands, it's a dude's rock masterpiece and deserves to be. And I honestly wonder, though, like Will, Will, Will loves it, I think, a little more than me. And guess what? He was one of those guys who got to see it in the theater. I was unable to see it in the theater. And I wonder if that participated. The fact that it, to me, really was a full Netflix movie might have robbed it a little bit. I don't know. I liked The Lighthouse. I didn't love it as much as a lot of people, but I was on a very potent edible when I saw it. Uh, I should rewatch, and I will. What do I think is the most grill-pilled fictional character? That's very good. Uh, I mean, obviously, Jeffrey Lebowski, the dude, is often bandied about as a dude's rock icon. I agree completely. Uh, Dud from Lodge 49, of course. Protagonist. The Kurt Russell's son, Wyatt Russell, doing a wonderful job. Although he does often kind of feel more like uh, Jeff Bridges' kid. Channing Tatum's character in the Magic Mike films. Uh, of course, of course, Rick Dalton. Of course, Rick Dalton. Uh, I'd say, I would say Cliff Booth with an asterisk, because I think Cliff Booth is a more complicated character, and on purpose. Like, I think people who say that movie is bad because, oh, he killed his wife, it's like, first of all, that is not established, and second of all, he didn't have to put that in there. He put that in there to thread the thing with complication and to complicate the audience's relationship to him as a wish fulfillment, as a, as a masculine ideal. And honestly, that's, that is in its own way dialectically dudes rock, so I'll throw him in there too. Hell yeah, Peter from Office Space, are you kidding? Also Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters, all the Ghostbusters, in fact. Yeah, today has been movie talk, and I'm glad. I haven't done it in a while, and I really like movies. And it's uh, hard for me to talk about them because so few of them are good anymore. You know, I don't want to be a broken record, but I think I've established why I think that's true, even if other people can disagree. So I'm hoping to see something good in the near future. Someone send me, send me an angel. I haven't hit anything above, like, a soft four stars in a long time. If anyone has any suggestions, even old movies that I might not have seen. Maybe we'll take this last couple of minutes to see if I can... Palm Springs was fine. It was very cute. It was sweet. I think its approach to uh, the, the, uh, the subject, the old, tired Groundhog Day subject, was good and clever. I think, like all those stories, a good one is Buddhist, and that one was Buddhist as shit, which I appreciated. Uh, I especially love the idea that it acknowledges the, the, like, the dual reality of having... Of, of accepting to yourself that nothing matters, that nothing is accumulated that nothing is accumulated over time, that there is just the present. And the acknowledgement that everyone else is not necessarily has that same understanding. And that, that that creates compassion, or it should. And that's where love comes from. And then eventual subsumption between the fantasy of separateness and the eternal. But still, Netflix, uh, Hulu. I like J.K. Simmons in it. He was good. But once again, like three and a half, three and a half stars. I'm topping out at a soft four is what I'm saying. I see something really good.
All right, maybe I'll watch the House of the Jack Belt, even though it's only two and a half hours and not the full, like, three-hour enchilada. Friends of Eddie Coyle is a great movie. Ooh. Uh, I think I've recommended before how good and underrated uh, Andrew Demnyuk's Killing Them Softly from 2010, I think, is. But, uh... But that's like literally the spiritual successor because I think they're both based on George V. Higgins' books about Boston scumbags in the 70s. And it's got Robert Mitchum. It's Dirtbags. Oh, it's good. Straight Time. I, I used, I've always wanted to see that. I had that on my list, like, grown-up movies to watch when I was a teenager, but I never got around to it. Strange Days is pretty good. Killing of a Sacred Deer I saw and didn't really like very much. I think I'm not big on that lore ghost guy. I think he's, to me, he's not... To me, I worry that he's a medium talent. At least so far. Ravenous is good, but I've seen it. Take Back the Park. Huh, interesting. Bob Roberts is a great movie. Blue Collar is also a great movie. Gamer is really good. Neville Dean and Taylor, man. Underrated. I saw a Good Time. I didn't really like it the first time I saw it. But then I saw uh, Object Gems, and I got what they were going for. Because at first, the reason I didn't like Good Time is because the characters are so dumb that they were difficult for me to want to be around long enough to even watch the movie. But then I saw uh, Uncut Gems, where it was, that wasn't a problem, and, and I got like their whole aesthetic and like the, the ratchet thing. I was able to fixate really on like the Rube Goldberg plot stuff over the annoying characters. I have to say, I know everyone likes Robert Pattinson now, but I'm not a fan of his, like, really sub-brando, like, try-hard physical uh, uh, method shit. It just, feel, it, it just feels forced. Like, I know a lot of people liked him in that movie. Uh, the, what the hell is that? Out, the Outback movie with, with uh, Guy Pierce. I know a lot of people liked him in that, and I hated him in that. I did not like High Life or him in it. Uh, honestly, it felt like Good Time would have been better with a different lead actor too, in my opinion. That's right. That's right. I don't. I don't credit him. I don't. I don't credit uh, Pattinson. I'll say it right now. The Rover. That's it. And even in like Lighthouse, I was all about Defoe. I didn't really care for Pattinson in Lighthouse either. I'm spilling the tea right here. That's right, Matt Chrisman. Not a terribly fond of the Robert Pattinson Renaissance. I'm trying to think of who would be better for people to focus on than Robert Pattinson. But I kind of don't like any of those young British guys. Yeah, the foe is my other choice beside Michael Shannon to play John Brown in a real movie that took the religiosity of John Brown seriously, that like centered the prophetic tradition and, and was subjectively in the period like the witches. That would, that would also be really good. Alright guys, I'm going to split. Oh, just one more thing. Have you noticed that now every movie is about operators? Like all the plots that were probably used to be about cops are now about fucking operators. I think, I think Netflix is releasing like three straight big budget movies about fucking operators. They got uh, 
they've got operators versus street gangs in uh, that movie Extraction. They've got immortal lady operators in uh, The Old Guard. And then they've got now Megan Fox as a lady operator fighting a lion. A CGI lion, of course. That's funny. Blood Meridian is kind of about operators. What if somebody did Blood Meridian in Afghanistan? Maybe someone should do that. Not a direct, not a direct <laughs> adaptation with the same title, but basically just take the plot structure and some of the like the visual and metaphoric motifs, and use it to inspire a tale in Afghanistan. I think that might be good. Much to consider. All right, guys. Talk to you soon.